making our way through the book of Daniel, which is a book of biblical prophecy. And we're in the ninth chapter. My father um, farmed my grandfather's farm. And even though my grandparents um, you know, were still living and they lived on this farm, my father farmed it. And I never did really mind when it was, you know, our time to, my time to go over to that place to, you know, farm and hoe cotton and all of that. Well, I take that back. I do need to be honest, but, but I, I hated it less because my grandmother always, um, I knew she'd always have some refreshment. And some, you know, you'd be working a little while and I'd look up and there she'd come. And she's always bringing, you know, hot, I mean, uh, you know, ice cold Coke and Dr. Pepper and refreshments. And we just kind of meet on a turn row, you know, and uh, sit there and uh, chat and visit and get refreshed. Sometimes it's really important to, you know, take a time out for a pause for a little refreshment. That's what you find in the book of Daniel. Up to this point, we've been making our way through this book and we've come up the mountain, started up the mountain with regard to biblical prophecy. And we're getting ready to make the final assault to the pinnacle of biblical prophecy, what some would call the backbone of biblical prophecy. But before that happens, the Lord does a wonderful thing. He puts us on our knees. And right in the midst of this heavy stuff concerning the fulfillment of biblical prophecy is this call to prayer, and Daniel is on his knees in prayer. I want to talk to you tonight about your prayer life, specifically with regard to your intercession for the nation. If you're like me, you probably spend very little time on your knees for your nation. But in the midst of all that is before us, here is this prophet of God on his knees and his prayer is for his nation. It's a marvelous event. The son of Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China, wrote his biography. And in this biography, he makes a significant statement about his father. He said, for 40 years, the sun never rose on China, but what it found my father on his knees in prayer. What if for the next 40, not years, but days, the sun never rises on this community, that it does not find God's people on their knees in prayer for their nation? What a transformation we could see happen in the world. Now when was it that Daniel prayed? Verse one, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, when was it he prayed? The first year that Darius was king. In other words, when there began to be a change in government, at a strategic, significant time in the government of this nation, God calls on this prophet to pray. 
I think that you and I would not have to be, you know, too studious concerning history to, to understand that, that it has always been that history moves the nation to significant moments in time, pivotable moments, when a nation's uh, whole future just kind of pivots on that particular moment in time in history. We may be at that place in the history of our nation. And so the president gets up and he talks about the new world order. And there is the prospect of a new world. For the first time we're hearing some encouraging news that there might be some kind of peaceful settlement come out of the Middle East after centuries of war and hatred and strife. And who is not aware of the changes that are occurring in the Eastern Bloc? Nations are breaking off bondages and are becoming free nations. It is a crucial time in the history of this world. It was a crucial time in Daniel's life, in the life of the nation. And he began to sense that God's hand was at work in Israel's life. And so God set aside some time for knee work. Now where was it when he prayed? Look at verse 2. In the first year of, the, of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now I want you to get this picture. Here is this prophet and he's on his knees in prayer, and he has the scroll of God open to him. And in this scroll, he's obviously reading from the prophet Jeremiah, who was a prophet who preceded him in time. And he's reading about the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem. And he knows exactly what Jeremiah is talking about. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn to the 25th chapter of Jeremiah and I'll show you exactly where he was reading. Keep your finger in the place here. And we'll look at Jeremiah chapter 25 and we'll read verses 8 through 14. Now remember this, that, that Daniel the prophet is reading a scroll of a prediction before it actually happened that God had give, given to Jeremiah the prophet must have been a pretty amazing thing to Daniel as he's on his knees in prayer and God has taken him to a place of prayer at a strategic time in the life of his nation and he's reading about a, an event that is, that is on the horizon for him. Well, look at what he's talking, what, what happens in verse 8 of 25. Therefore say, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you've not obeyed my words... Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send them to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing, a mockery, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, 
the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. I'll put out your lights. And this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for how long? Seventy years. Now, Daniel was a teenage boy when this part happened. And Jeremiah saw it years before it happened. Now, here's the rest of the story. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation, and I will bring upon that land all my words which I pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves of them, even them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds, according to the work of their hands. Now what Daniel is experiencing is this. He's on his knees and he's reading the prophecy of Jeremiah and he knows that it has been 68 years since the desolation of the city. All of a sudden it dawns on him that in two years God will bring his people back out of Babylon. This is a strategic moment in the history of the world. And Daniel was poised on the lip of the cup of the fulfillment of God's prophecy here. And he saw his God's hand in the affairs, about to run its course in the life of Israel. Now I want to make a quick application if you're following your notes. I think this verse speaks to us in a very personal and relevant way. And it says this, that perhaps in a very short time we're going to see some tremendous changes occur in our world. I don't think a person has to be a prophet, really, to, to sense that. That if there ever was a time when God's people should pray, call to prayer, it's this age, this time. And perhaps more than any time in our lifetime, we have an opportunity to seize the opportunity to to call on God in prayer and to see the change of the world. All right, look, read verse 3 with me, some ingredients of prayer. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer, supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. There are five ingredients to prayer, Daniel's prayer. Jot these down. Number one, There must be a prayer as we um, are called to prayer, pray for a nation. There must be concentration. I gave attention. In order to do battle, really do battle in prayer, there has to be concentration, focus. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, enter into your closet. Now the kind of prayer that changes the world is not the prayer that's done when you're driving down the road, you know, and you're breathing a little prayer. I did some traveling this week, and I tried to do a little praying while I was driving. That's not the kind of prayer that he's talking about. 
It's not the, time, the kind of prayer that, you know, you, you get up in the morning and you rush, you know, about and you finally, for a few, five minutes, you think, well, I need to say a little prayer here before I start the day. And so, in a little rush of time, you say prayer, say a prayer to. It's the kind of prayer that goes into a closet and shuts out the world and focuses on a specific need, concentration. Secondly, there is supplication. Now the word supplication or entreaties means pleadings with the idea of laying oneself before another who can do something about a need. So that is one going before God, laying himself before God with regard to a need that's in his life, a specific need. Third, it involved, this prayer involved fasting. It involved the setting aside of something that was ordinary, an ordinary function of the day, so that, we might, so that he might pray. Andrew Bonner, the saintly man of prayer, says that fasting really is abstinence from anything that hinders prayer. So that fasting is putting aside whatever hinders your prayer life. It might be some social function. It might even be TV, God forbid. It might be, you know, whatever it is, some, even some doing something good, it is the setting aside of that which hinders your prayer life. Fourth, there was incredible humility. Sackcloth. Bill Hammer has this statement about this kind of praying. He calls it helplessness. Sackcloth, I'm helpless. He says, your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart to the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered phrases. He hears it from the very moment that you're seized with helplessness and he becomes actively engaged at once in hearing and answer the, answering the prayer of our helplessness. He hears today as he heard the helpless and wordless prayer of a man sick with a palsy. It's this absolute helplessness, humility. And then fifth, he was a man of modesty. There is in ashes. Modesty. Now let me suggest an application. goes with this if you're following in your notes. I'm serious about this. When you read in the newspaper tomorrow a particular need and it's spelt out, how do you respond to it? For example, you will pick up the newspaper tomorrow and you're going to, you know, if it's like it's been every day, a little conversation in the newspaper, a little print about the deficit. The deficit, yeah, the deficit, taxes, you know, everything. And what do you, how do you respond to that? I'll tell you how we respond to it. We respond to it, you know, in anger or dismay or disgust. Taxes and deficit spending, all that kind of stuff. How many of you, when you read that, automatically take that problem to God? And I'm serious about this. Let me suggest an application. For the next 30 days, every time you read some need in your nation, that, that's in your nation, spelled out, spend 10 minutes that day in prayer for that. I, I have a feeling that, that if we did that, it'd be something that we have never done in our life. 
taking the newspaper, discovering the need that the nation has, spend 10 minutes in prayer for that specific need, for 30 days, everybody in this church building, what a transformation would occur. You say, well, I'm just one in a million. What can I do? Well, how many people did, did Hudson Taylor make up? One man. And how many people did Daniel make up? One man. And this prayer of Hudson Taylor opened doors like green lights, and so did Daniel the prophet. Now I want to just read the prayer that's found in verses 4 through 6. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. All right, here's the first. By the way, look on the back of your outline, and you're going to see some little categories of prayer and how they're explained there just kind of help keep prayer fresh for you. You might want to take that home and use it in your quiet time. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed so that the first thing he did in prayer was to confess his sin, the sin of the nation, and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps his commandment, keep his commandments. Here's his confession. We have sinned. The word sin there means come short. We've fallen short. We've not measured up. We have sinned. I want you, before I go another step, I want you to notice here that Daniel had absolutely nothing to do with the sin of his nation. He was at best, he was at most 14 years of age when he was carried away from, from Jerusalem in exile to Babylon. And here is, a, here is a man 68 years later and he's confessing the sin of his nation of which he had nothing to do with. He's the only man in, in, in this book that's in the book of Daniel, that's without, there's no record of his sin. And yet he says, we have fallen short. Second, he says, we have committed iniquity. Means to bend or to twist or to make crooked. He said, we are crooked people. Twisted. And we have acted wickedly. That word means to confuse or distort. We've gotten everything out of perspective. And we have rebelled. The word is re revolted. We've turned aside from thy, thy commandments and ordinances. Now what I want you to see is this. Is that he became personally identified with the sin of his nation. For any problem that your nation has is your problem. Now we become notorious spectators and so we... We watch this world of ours as it starves to death. Let me tell you, the hungry, the hunger of a hungry person in this world, just one, is your problem and mine. And we've seen urban blight, that's your problem and mine. And we have seen a nation that has fallen so far short of its divine intention, that's your problem and mine, so that the problems and the sin and the, and the distortion of a nation is not somebody else's problem. 
And the church should never rest until it does what it can about the problem. And the best thing you can do is to pray. He confessed his sin. I want to ask you to do this. Every day for 30 days. I'm serious about this. Some of you will. Some most of you won't. I'm going to challenge you to take 10 minutes a day for the next 30 days and pray for the sin of this nation. As though it were your own. How far have we fallen? Well, for example, the first building that was built in Jamestown was a church. How far have we fallen? On every cemetery in, the, in, the, in Jamestown where the original people were buried, in, on every gravestone there is a prayer to Almighty God. The sin of this nation breaks our heart, or it ought to, and we bear it on us as our responsibility. It's your problem and it is mine. Now there's some praise after the confession. I'm just going to try to read the, the, the record and then we're out of here. Look, it's verse 7. Righteousness belongs to thee. Now he's praising God and he's... He's, he's voicing what he understands of God, the character of God. And the first thing he knows about God or speaks about God is that he's righteous. Righteousness belongs to thee. A nation and a people is unrighteous, but you are not. But to us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which thou hast driven them. Because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against thee. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord. Does that sound familiar? Open shame. Can you turn on the television and not feel ashamed? Can you go to a movie and not feel ashamed? Last Thursday I went to see my daughter who lives in West Texas and she had a day off and so I thought she and I would do something together, just my daughter and myself. I said, why don't we go to a movie? I feel like a big spender. Four bucks. She said, well, let's look in the newspaper and we'll see what's showing. And she's kind of a, she's very modest and more of a prude <laughs> than I am even. And we looked down the list of the movies and decided that we'd be embarrassed to go to the movie together. We rented one. Had to fast forward it certain places. You know what I'm saying? Does it, does it make you ashamed? I see it. Does it? Open shame. To, our, to the Lord our God, look at this, 
belongs compassion and forgiveness. Not only is he righteous, but he's compassionate and forgiving. Thank God for that. We better be forever grateful that he is compassionate and that he does forgive because he has a lot to forgive. For we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teaching, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside. Verse 12, thus he has confirmed his words. That is, he has, the fourth thing about him is that he keeps his promise. He keeps his word. Now an application. I want you to t- turn quickly back to the little epistle of, of 1 Timothy. And I want to look just again at, with you at a verse of Scripture that is the, absolutely the best with regard to intercession for a nation. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now Paul is writing to Timothy... And he's giving him, giving him some instructions with regard to priority. He says, first of all, then, I urge. Now, he's not saying, let the first thing you do when you pray be pray for your nation. He's saying that this ought to be the priority of your life. The priority of your life ought to be that you constantly pray for your nation. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings. Right there, Timothy's thinking, you mean those kings that slaughter Christians? Yes, those kings. You mean those kings that throw people to the lions as fast as they can eat them? Yeah, those kings on behalf of all men, kings. So Timothy's thinking, I'll, sure, I'll pray for him. I'll pray that God will drop some fire and brimstone on his head. That's not what he's talking about. It's amazing. And what he's saying is this, pray for those who, are in rule, who, in, who have roles of authority as rulers, for they carry a heavy burden. They carry and they exert a powerful influence, and we should pray for them, even those kings that are throwing Christians to the lions. Why? In order that we might live in a peaceful and orderly society. Why should we pray for the nation? So you can walk down the street and not be afraid. So you can go out at night and not be frightened. So you can walk down the street of any city in America and know you're not going to be mugged or killed or raped. Now notice the motive behind the prayer. We'll just skip down to verse 17, back to chapter 19, chapter 9 of Daniel, and we'll get to verse 17. So now our God Listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications and for thy sake, O Lord. Let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. 
O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine ears and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits on our own, but on account of thy great compassion. Hear, O Lord, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for thine own sake. Now, why should you pray for the nation? Yeah, so that you can live in a peaceful and orderly society. Yes, so you can walk down the street and not be afraid. Yes, so that you can reap the benefits of freedom. Yes, so that you'll not have to fear when you worship. All of those are reasons, but the main motive that you should pray for your nation is that God's name might be glorified for His sake. And what Daniel is saying is this, that when these nations see our degradation, and when these nations around us see our poverty of morality, they'll mock you. that the name of God might be lifted up. Pray for your nation. Now while America is at a point where all the nations of the world are focusing on her, wouldn't it be a wonderful time for revival to come and people to see this nation is not only powerful militarily, and not only does it have the greatest military minds and the greatest strategy, not only is this nation rich and powerful, but it's good and godly and different. What should be the reason you and I pray? That the Father may be glorified that his name might be lifted up. And Jesus said that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will be, the Father will do it, that he might be glorified in the Son, so that God will answer your prayer if he knows he'll get glory from it. And so if you can honestly pray for your nation on this wise, oh God. Save this nation. At this strategic place in our history, move upon this nation of ours. Let your hand mold it so that you can be glorified and your name exalted and indeed Christ known. And God will answer that prayer. What will happen tomorrow if when the sun comes up, God finds His people on their knees in prayer for their nation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this pause in the midst of all that happened in the world, so important, so strategic, to remind us that in the ebb and flow of history, in the change of time, in the change of governments, 
the people of God must not forget to pray. To bathe their nation and its government in prayer that Jesus might be known and God might be glorified. Help us to be faithful. Pray. To identify with the sin of a nation and identify with those who have died to redeem it. For it is in Jesus' name I pray. There might be some tonight who've been thinking about a while, for a while, about giving your heart and life to Jesus. You'd like to come tonight to say, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, my Savior. He died for me. I want to come and claim His gift of salvation, eternal life. I claim it by faith for myself. I trust Jesus. I repent of my sin, which means I have a turn of life around. I've changed my attitude, my, my life, my direction. I turn toward Jesus and I trust Him. Maybe someone need to come tonight to place their life in this fellowship or to rededicate yourself to Christ. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come. You need to come on the first word if you're coming.